I want to go ahead and uh, thank you all for being here this evening um, <clears throat> for the Denver Citizen Oversight Board public forum. Um, <clears throat> I want to go ahead and give you just a little bit of information about the board, uh, introduce us, and we have some special guests that I'd like to introduce and then allow you to hear from as well. Um, so first and foremost, you know, we're the Citizen Oversight Board. Um, we are appointed a seven-member panel, uh, but some of us are, are not able to be here tonight, um, but we're appointed by the mayor, um, <clears throat> and under the ordinance that created us, as well as the Office of the Independent Monitor, um, we have a few different functions. One, and first and foremost, is to assess the effectiveness of the Office of the Independent Monitor. Um, we also are tasked with making policy recommendations to the Denver Public excuse me, Denver Police Department, as well as the Denver Sheriff's Department, uh, around various issues uh, related to discipline, use of force, training, hiring, etc. And then finally, um, the ordinance has us take care of or deal with and address issues of concern to the community. Um, one of those, one of those things um, is that is, in fact, excuse me, the reason why we have these these forums. That's an opportunity for us to hear from the community, hear from the public, um, and things that we can we can address if we can. Um, you should know that the Citizen Oversight Board um, does not have any authority over the police department or the sheriff's department. Um, our function is to uh, make recommendations, so so be aware of that um, as you um, hear our present hear the presentation tonight, and then when you have an opportunity to make comments or ask questions, keep that in mind. Um, <clears throat> so what we do and how we do our work is through um, meetings with the independent monitor, um, meetings also with the the Denver police chief, um, currently that's Chief Pazin, as well as uh, the sheriff, um, Sheriff Furman, <clears throat> and the executive director of public safety, um, Troy Riggs. So we meet with those individuals quarterly. Uh, we, we, we meet with the monitor um, at every meeting, and that's how we gather information um, and uh, better understand issues uh, with regard to public safety here in Denver. Um, <clears throat> our meetings are um, the first and third Friday, uh, of every month, um, located uh, in the Denver Post building on the first floor um, at 10 a.m. And those are open to the public. And so uh, would encourage you to stop by if you, uh, if you so choose. Um, and uh, if you cannot do that, our meeting minutes are on our website. Um, I think with that, I'd like to go ahead and introduce to you, first and foremost, um, the board members as well as uh, our other panelists uh, who's going to be presenting. Um, to my, my left at the very end um, is Mr. Al Gardner, um, and then Dr. Mary Davis, uh, Nikki Brazil. Uh, I am Katina Banks, and I'm the chair of the board. Um, and then finally, Molly Gallegos. And sitting next to Molly is the independent monitor, uh, Nick Mitchell. Um, Mr. Mitchell will be presenting to us um, later this evening a presentation with regard to the um, annual report that his office produces every year uh, with regard to um, issues that his office has monitored and um, covered over the course of the year. Um, I also, though, want to draw your attention very quickly to a few um, guests that we have here from City Council, as well as um, the commander for um, this police district. So, um, Councilman Cashman is here. He represents District 6 of City Council. Uh, Councilman, would you like to say a few words? Oh, 
Well, thank you, Madam Chair, members of the board, Mr. Monitor. It's, uh, it's an honor to have you in District 6, uh, and it's been a pleasure to uh, uh, pitch in and support the work that you do. It's important work for our city. Um, District 6 includes the neighborhoods of Rosedale, Harvard Gulch, uh, University, Washington Park, University Park, uh, Belcaro, Bonnie Bray, Corey Merrill, um, and across Colorado Boulevard into Virginia Village. Um, interesting fact about this district, if you were to look at the census figures, um, it would be best described as one of the more monochromatic of our districts. And our last census were about 84% white, about 11% uh, Latino, um, and about 8% African American. I know it doesn't add up to 100, but you get the point. Um, when the school bell rings, that all changes. We've uh, got Placebridge Academy over at Cherry Creek Drive, and Monaco has about 830 out of 1,000 students. 830 speak English as a second language. We have uh, Merrill Middle School, which has the Denver Public Schools International Program, another 350 international students. South High uh, here, uh, where we're hosting tonight, about another 700 international students. And to the south across the highway, we've got the University of Denver with about another 1,400. So in the midst of what some would expect to be uh, anything but diverse, uh, when the school bell rings, we've got about 3,500 uh, kids from about 105 different countries and about as many languages and dialects. So I want to welcome you to one of Denver's most diverse communities, <laughs> and thank you for the good work that you do. Uh, thank you very much, Councilman Cashman. Um, just uh, as a point of note, um, Councilman Cashman, as well as um, another representative here, uh, well, actually, Councilwoman uh, Kanich, her, one of her um, staff members is here. Um, both of them were very instrumental in um, helping pass some les legislation recently with regard to the Office of the Independent Monitor that um, strengthened that the office as well as clarified ver various rights. Um, so thank you very much, Mr. Cashman, Councilman Cashman, for your leadership. Um, next, um, I would like to um, introduce you to um, Councilwoman Robin Kanich's uh, council staff person. Polly, what is your last name? Thank you, Polly Kyle. Um, and um, I'll ask her to say a few words. A little shorter than Councilman Cashman. Uh, hi, I'm Polly Kyle. I am uh, with uh, Councilwoman Robin Kanich's office. Um, she regrets that she could not be here herself, but I just wanted to come and say thank you for uh, being here and thank you to the folks that are here. Um, Councilwoman Kanich is one of your two at-large representatives, which means she represents the entire city of Denver um, and works on policy issues that affect all Denverites. Um, so thank you for having me. Um, thank you for being here. And um, she regrets that she can't be her here herself. Thanks. Great. Thank you very much, Polly. Uh, and finally, um, but certainly not least, um, we were, we're actually honored to have um, with us here the commander for the police district um, that we're in, which is uh, District 3. Um, this is Commander Kyle as well, <laughs> two Kyles. <laughs> um, and uh, Commander Kyle um, graciously agreed to attend and is going to address us. Thank you so much, Commander. Well, I'd like to thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to talk for a minute or two here. Um, District 3 is a station right down the street just off of I-25 in University, and, but our district 
goes from 6th and Santa Fe all the way to the tech center, so mm. fairly large district, mm -hmm. um, have about 180 officers assigned to the district. We're enjoying a great first quarter so far this year. Our crime stats show us down nearly 10% in the first quarter um, so far, and we're also seeing significant gains in our neighborhood watch program, thanks to actually one of our volunteers, Christy, that's here today, so welcome, Christy. Mm -hmm. Um, so collaboration, that's one of our key focuses in District 3, working with our residents, our business owner, our council people to strengthen community safety. And that's something that we're constantly working on. And as I said, thanks to the help of our partners, we're seeing great gains in that area. And I can't thank our community more for their support and their partnership in making all that happen. So again, I just wanted to take a, take a couple minutes, express the importance of that, and thank you for your time. Tonight. Great. Thank you so much, Commander. Uh, that's that's actually re really refreshing to hear. Um, that's gr the great news for our city. Um, great great news for the folks that live in District District Three. <clears throat> um, okay. Uh, sorry. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Um, so I think we'll we'll get on with uh, our uh, agenda. But before I do that, um, we have an extremely special guest. Actually, we had the pleasure um, of meeting with him um, before this forum um, during our regularly scheduled meeting. That you know normally I, I told you it's on Fridays, but today we had a special meeting, and that's with uh, Chief Pazin, who's here with us. He's sitting sitting over there with um, his some of his uh, command staff. Thank you for being here, Chief. We really appreciate you. Would you like to address us? Really, we were uh, just hanging out for questions. Thank you so much. Uh, we, we were uh, just wanting to be here and uh, show support and answer any questions uh, that we could uh, more from the citywide, but since you gave me the mic, you might not ever get it back. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if you've ever heard me talk. I do want to introduce uh, Deputy Chief uh, Archer, who is uh, here to my right. Uh, she is absolutely phenomenal, and uh, we could not do this without uh, the work that, that Deputy Chief Archer does. And then uh, in front of Commander Kyle is Division Chief Ron Thomas, uh, absolutely amazing. He runs all of the patrol districts. So thank you for at least giving us an opportunity to in introduce our, our amazing staff, and we will uh, hang out for some questions if uh, necessary. Great, terrific, thank you very much, Chief. Uh, appreciate your leadership and that of your team. Uh, it's wonderful to have you here. Um, and then finally, I do actually want to acknowledge that Benny Milliner is also here with us from the Denver Sheriff's Office. Um, and Benny, uh, you're a community liaison, is that correct, for, for the Sheriff's Department? Thank you, and so thank you for being here as well. Uh, I think with that, we'll go ahead and uh, turn it over to our, our independent monitor, uh, Nick Mitchell, um, who's going to speak to us a little bit about um, the results of the annual report from the Office of the Independent Monitor. Thank you, Nick. Well, thank you, Madam Chair, uh, for this opportunity to speak with you tonight uh, and to speak with the public. Um, I have been asked to provide a a summary of the annual report that my office issued uh, in March, and, uh, and I'll do that. I'll provide a fairly high-level summary, and then if there are any follow-up questions or, or other topics of conversation that, that folks want to talk about, I'm happy to, uh, to do that. 
Um, as uh, you know, uh, uh, COB members and as some members of the public know, the OIM has a number of key responsibilities, and I'll just sort of briefly highlight them here. Uh, one is making recommendations for improving policies, practices, and training. Uh, another is monitoring and making recommendations on Internal Affairs Bureau investigations and disciplinary findings. Monitoring officer-involved shooting and in-custody death investigations. Conducting outreach to the community and law enforcement. Uh, and cultivating dialogue between the community and officers through the mediation program that we administer uh, in partnership with the, with the DPD. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about each one of those focus areas. Um, but uh, before I do, um, uh, Madam Chair, you, you referenced the recent ordinance change, and I thought it would, it would make sense to briefly discuss some of the most significant changes uh, that were passed in that ordinance. So in February 2019, the Denver City Council uh, acting uh, principally through three co-sponsors who have already been identified, uh, Councilman Cashman, Councilwoman Kanish, and Councilman Lopez, uh, worked with the council to pass a bill that did a number of things. One, it increased the size of the Citizen Oversight Board from seven members to nine members and divided the appointments between the mayor and the city council. Um, it clarified that investigations, if any, into the chief uh, or sheriff are subject to OIM oversight in the future. Uh, the bill will require the agencies that we oversee to respond to OIM and COB recommendations upon request uh, and to provide the OIM with the opportunity to participate in the policy revision process. Uh, and it will also prohibit retaliation for reporting to or cooperating with the OIM. The bill did a number of other things. I think those are some of the most significant changes. Uh, it was signed into law by uh, Mayor Hancock, uh, and it is now the law of the land. Um, another uh, noteworthy uh, development that relates to our policy recommendation function, uh, and, I, and let me just expand on something that uh, Commander Kyle mentioned. He talked about uh, working in collaboration with the community, and I'm going to talk about a, a number of policy issues uh, that were the result of collaborations between the community and our law enforcement agencies. And one is the creation of a public integrity division for the Denver Sheriff Department. Um, in a March 2018 report about the death of Michael Marshall, uh, the OIM, which uh, is uh, the Office of the Independent Monitor, recommended placing management of DSD internal affairs under civilian control. And there were a whole host of reasons why we made that recommendation. Um, in December 2018, uh, the creation of a public integrity division within the Department of Safety was announced. The PID will be uh, run by civilians, it will be staffed by civilian investigators, and it will be responsible for investigating allegations of misconduct by sworn DSD staff. Uh, and I should note that the OIM, on that point about collaboration, the OIM and the COB currently sit on an executive advisory board to develop policies and procedures for that public integrity division. Another issue that the OIM has worked on in uh, the last year plus uh, is the uh, issue of in-person visitation in Denver's jails. So in October 2017, the OIM publicly recommended that the DSD develop a plan to reinstate in-person visits inside Denver's jails. Uh, which uh, 
had, had been doing all visitation between family and friends and inmates uh, through computer screens. Uh, in December 2017, the DSD convened a work group to explore that recommendation. In September 2018, Mayor Hancock proposed a million dollar budget for the construction necessary to reinstate in-person visits at the county jail, not at the downtown detention center, but uh, at the county jail as a first step. Uh, and the work group, uh, which has been composed of members of city council, members of the mayor's office, members of the DSD, the COB, the OIM, and, and many other stakeholders, is currently meeting to establish eligibility criteria for the visitation program and work out other visitation program details. So I think it's a very positive development. There has been a lot of collaboration involving many, many agencies and stakeholders, and uh, I fully expect that we will have in-person visitation out of the county jail um, uh, sometime in the future. Precisely when that will happen, I think, is we're, we're, still, uh, we're still waiting to determine. Um, demographic data collection within the DPD. Uh, so in 2018, the, the OIM assisted in the development of a demographic data collection program for the DPD. Uh, such programs have become, uh, I won't say commonplace, but have, have become, uh, in some police departments, have adopted them around the country in order to use data to evaluate concerns about alleged racial profiling and, and use data to do many other things. In 2018, the DPD piloted the program in one police district in Denver, and as of uh, March 2019, uh, that program is now being implemented department-wide, uh, and in uh, 2019 and beyond, we plan to work in partnership with the police department to interpret and analyze the data being generated from that data collection program. Um, Another uh, important policy uh, issue or initiative was the revision of the DPD's use of force policy. Uh, in January 2017, under a prior chief, the DPD released the draft revised use of force policy. Uh, the OIM responded with a, a letter documenting various uh, concerns that we had, uh, and a committee was convened to evaluate the draft policy and recommend changes. Uh, that committee met for many, many months. Um, it would, there were stakeholders from throughout the city and many community groups uh, participated. Uh, city council members participated. Uh, and uh, it made a number of recommendations to the police department. And in August 2018, Chief Pazin, who's here with us tonight, released a new use of force policy that addressed many of the concerns raised by the OIM and the community and included an improved use of force standard. Uh, in January 2019, the DPD implemented the new policy uh, and the OIM will continue to evaluate its impact in the future. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about one of our core functions, which is uh, the complaint process and the investigation process for Denver police officers and Denver sheriff deputies. Uh, in 2018, 323 community complaints were recorded uh, involving Denver police officers. That was a pretty notable decrease from the prior year. That was a 21% decrease in community complaints from the prior year. 104 internal complaints were recorded, a 19% decrease from the prior year. In terms of the discipline process, it's another very important piece of the work that we do. Uh, no officers were terminated during the year. Five officers retired or resigned pending investigation or potential discipline. 
25 officers were suspended. Uh, and I always like to also highlight not only the disciplinary piece, which is uh, an important part of our work and our ordinance, but also commendations that uh, were awarded to officers during the year, uh, which are, are, are not any less important and, and perhaps maybe even more important in some ways. And 226 commendations were awarded to Denver police officers during 2018. More detail about some of the highlighted commendations uh, from the year are available in our annual report. Uh, regarding the Denver Sheriff Department, there were 231 community or inmate complaints recorded in 2018, a 12% increase from the prior year, uh, and 176 internal complaints were recorded. So complaints filed by other members of the department or supervisors within the department, a 45% increase from the prior year. One deputy was terminated, seven deputies retired or resigned pending investigation or potential discipline, uh, 34 deputies were suspended, uh, and 79 commendations were awarded to deputies for uh, excellent and exemplary service in the, in the performance of their duties. Another key piece of our function is monitoring officer-involved shootings and in-custody deaths and the investigation of those incidents. And there were eight officer-involved shootings involving DPD officers during the year, no DSD deputy-involved shootings in 2018. Uh, there were several in-custody deaths um, in uh, the police department. All are currently under administrative review. Uh, very briefly, an individual was suspected of swallowing a controlled substance while in custody and later died. Uh, there were a number of individuals who died of self-inflicted gunshot wounds uh, after contact with police officers and later died. All, as I said, are currently under administrative review. Uh, and no, there were no non-medical in-custody deaths in the Denver Sheriff Department in 2018. Another key piece of our function is outreach uh, in general to the community and law enforcement. Uh, but I'll focus uh, in particular on our youth outreach project, which is uh, a partnership with the Denver Police Department uh, and our Director of Outreach is Gia Orlando, who's sitting in the back of the room right now. Thank you, Gia. Um, in 2018, the team held 12 youth officer forums, reaching 631 youth. Uh, the DPD uh, and others trained 83 officers in adolescent development and de-escalation tactics when in contact with youth. Uh, the program received um, an award from the Denver Bar Association, the 2018 Education in the Legal System Award. Um, it was identified as a promising model by the Police Executive Research Forum, and it was evaluated by a university, a third-party university researcher, uh, as a program that clearly, and I'll quote, clearly lays the foundation for more productive relationships between youth and the police. So it's a program that we're very proud of, has been a collaboration between, um, uh, as I'll obviously keep on coming back to, between many, many stakeholders uh, in this city. Finally, our mediation program continues to be an important part of what we do and how we resolve certain complaints uh, that tend to uh, appear to stem from miscommunication between police officers and uh, community members. Uh, and when we identify those kinds of complaints, we offer 
both the officer and the community member an opportunity to sit down together in a neutral location with a third-party mediator uh, and create a space, uh, a safe space, to have a discussion about what went wrong in their inter interaction. Uh, and we have historically had extremely positive results from those mediations. Uh, and uh, we did 32 of them, working with an outside mediation vendor and working with the Internal Affairs Bureau and the Police Department. 32 were completed in 2018. We saw a slight dip in the rate of satisfaction for community members during the year of 71%. Everyone is surveyed when they leave the mediation room, uh, and 71% of community members were satisfied with the mediation process. 98% of officers were satisfied. And so we're currently in discussions with the stakeholders in that program to see if we can understand why we saw that drop in the satisfaction rate in uh, 2018. And hopefully we can uh, bring that up for 2019. That uh, concludes my report, Madam Chair. Thank you very much, Monitor. Um, board members, do, do you have any questions, comments about uh, the information shared by the Monitor? Anyone? Bueller? Well, I'd like to applaud the um, Office of Independent Monitor to for the continued work that's being done to um, enhance civilian oversight in the city and county of Denver. I would second that. Thank you very much, Dr. Davis. Uh, anyone else? I had one question, uh, and that's, um, you indicated that complaints had, were decreased, decreased uh, for the police department. Um, is there any specific thing that's attributable to a decrease versus an increase? You know, it's, um, uh, it can be very hard to determine. You know, there are so many factors that go into uh, the filing of complaints and the recording of complaints. There are uh, public perceptions. Um, there are um, how accessible is the complaint process, and I think it's generally pretty accessible uh, in Denver. Um, uh, there are really a, a, a variety of, uh, uh, of reasons why uh, researchers who have studied this extensively have identified complaints can rise and fall year over year. Uh, so I'm not really in a position to conclude. We have not done the the sort of study necessary to conclude why complaints are dropping. Certainly, um, some cities uh, have done analysis of the impact of body-worn cameras and have found that the presence of body-worn cameras on police officers has uh, the impact of uh, reducing the number of complaints that are ultimately filed uh, against police officers. Those results have not been replicated in some other cities that have experimented with body-worn cameras. Uh, so. Um, I guess that's sort of a long-winded way of saying we're, we're not entirely sure why they have gone down in the police department, uh, and, um, and certainly if, if we develop those, you know, those insights or we do that, that research and analysis, we'll you know, share more information with Great. you. Great. Yeah, I was curious just if, if that was even part of your analysis, if you had that much drill, ability to drill down. But certainly we're, we all can agree that it's good news that complaints are to have gone down with regard to the police department. So thank you for that, Monitor. Yeah. I had a question in a similar vein, um, whether or not you had a sense of what accounted for the 45% increase in internal complaints recorded at the Sheriff's Department 
and maybe not if uh, maybe if not a why, then maybe is there any particular type of complaint in that category that stood out or that increased more than the others? Yeah, there have been a number of changes to the internal affairs process um, or the triage process for internal affairs in the sheriff department. Uh, there have been certain categories of incidents that have become uh, internal affairs cases that were not internal affairs cases in the past. Um, uh, including, for example, cases that are, uh, from I think many people's perspectives, may, may be performance related rather than misconduct related or may relate to um, uh, issues that don't need to be investigated by internal affairs. There are, I mentioned the executive board of the Public Integrity Division that's currently meeting now to develop policies and procedures for the Public Integrity Division and uh, and one of the chief issues, and obviously you have been a member of that body, uh, so you're aware of this, uh, one of the chief issues that that body is confronting is how to appropriately triage serious incidents that happen in the jail that uh, where it's appropriate for there to be the investment of time and resources and expertise for internal affairs to investigate those uh, kinds of issues from uh, perhaps less serious incidents that may relate to performance or lack of training uh, or uh, things that, that simply don't need to be investigated by internal affairs. We're having ongoing discussions about how to draw that line. It's actually, it sounds sort of simple uh, to, to do that in the abstract, but when you look at the whole diverse array of complaints that are received, um, it's actually fairly complicated to figure out where that line should be drawn. Um, and, uh, but I anticipate that these numbers might well look somewhat different after, the public in after those procedures have been adopted and the Public Integrity Division is operating. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Monitor Mitchell. Um, you know, at this point, uh, what we'd like to do is um, open this up for the community, uh, for you all here, to um, pose any questions or make any comments um, that you might have. Um, that is, that's what we're here to do is to listen. So um, if you are interested in addressing uh, either the monitor or the board or frankly, um, because um, Chief Pazin's here and he's offered his staff to be available to answer questions that they might be able to answer. Um, uh, please, uh, you can come to the microphone um, if you would just please say your name. And um, if I would just ask, if, could you please keep your comments to you know, about three minutes or so. So feel, please feel free to, to, to take the mic. Yes. Good evening. Good evening. Is it on? Yes. Okay. Um, I have a question for Mr. Mitchell getting back oh, your, to- Your name, please. Oh, I'm sorry. My name is Karen Collier. I'm an interested community member. And uh, I have a question for Mr. Mitchell. Going back to the decrease in the number of complaints, I'm wondering how many months in 2018 did we have the uh, body cameras in effect? Uh, so they, uh, and I'll let the department uh, speak to that, but uh, my sense is it would have been the whole year, correct? Yeah. So from January to January, right. or January to December? Correct. Thank you. Yeah. 
Good evening. Uh, Benny Melner, I'm the Director for Community Engagement with the Denver Sheriff's Department. And uh, on the stats, I just wanted to make uh, one comment. Um, these are, um, are we using the term complaints just like grievances or are, is that different? We're, we're, using, um, we're using the term complaints for uh, any, any allegation, no matter how it is made. Uh, okay. If it goes into the IA Pro Complaint and Investigations Database and is assigned a complaint number, mm -hmm. we're treating that as a complaint. Whether it comes in on a grievance form or an inmate family, you know, an inmate's family makes it by phone or someone communicates with my office or with the sheriff, uh, if it, we're only treating it as a complaint if it has been recorded within the IA Pro database. Okay. Because I just wanted to make the comment that 85% uh, of grievances filed within the uh, sheriff's department are not sustained. So, um, you know, it's easy to file a grievance, um, but then after the investigation, we find that's why I think the, the PIDS policy discussion around um, training and whether something is, is, uh, should be investigated as a training issue or whether it's a, a, a forget the terminology you just used, uh, between the two, you know. Performance, performance issue. Performance and, and, and uh, more important or serious allegations. So I just wanted to put that, that statement out there that 85% uh, are not sustained uh, after investigation. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Milner. Anyone else? Hi, um, my name is Roz Heisey and I'm a concerned citizen and I'd just like to ask a question about the in-person visitation piece uh, of your report. Um, apparently in 2017 initial recommendations were made based on research of national uh, you know, uh, how this works nationally and how successful it is. Uh, and in my capacity as a mental health professional, I'm very aware of the therapeutic value of family support, of uh, the healing value of touch, of the uh, incredible recovery that can come to a person with that kind of an environment, which is virtually impossible to develop through a computer screen or a TV monitor. And so in 2017, the recommendation was made. On two occasions in the report, it is referenced that the DSD took quick action in response, uh, quick and decisive action again, I know that's a uh, subjective term, quick and decisive action, but we're now like a year and a half out and we have no specific idea of when this will be implemented. It is not all that difficult. It is implemented everywhere in the country. So do you have any, any thoughts, any ideas as to how we move forward in uh, a quicker, response time? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair, uh, a fair point. Um, 
you know, I'll say that um, it's, it's uh, although there have been and continue to be very successful models for how to run, you know, a, uh, a visitation program in other jail systems and other prison systems around the country, um, implementing it here has taken quite a bit of um, uh, research, budgeting, architectural, getting architectural designs for building out the visitation space. Um, uh, there has been a lot of work that had to go into uh, making it a safe program, you know, a program where, uh, you know, the last thing that I think anyone would want would be for, uh, I think we all embrace the idea that visitation between, you know, family members and friends and, and folks who are in custody is incredibly important. From it's, it's humane. Uh, it will have benefits in our criminal justice system and help people re-enter after they leave custody. Uh, but I think the last thing anyone would want would be for, uh, for us to implement visitation in a way that was unsafe and would permit contraband or weapons to get into the facilities. Um, so there's been a lot of research and evaluation of um, how visitation programs have changed over the years and what the best practices are now for ensuring that it's managed safely. There have been, I, I can tell you, some field visits to uh, Las Colinas to visit what many people consider to be the most successful uh, visitation program in a, in a jail in the United States. Um, uh, and also, you know, budget, budgetary matters, money needed to be freed up to build out the visitation space at the county jail. None of that is, uh, is, is meant to be an excuse for the department. Um, I do believe that there is a sense of urgency of, uh, for the department and for the city to implement visitation. Um, there are architectural plans now in place. There is money now in place. Uh, and there's money for staffing now in place. Uh, so once the space is built out, I believe that it, it will be implemented quickly. Um, but I understand that that may not be a satisfactory answer because we all want it to be implemented even more quickly. Um, and I'm, I'm just not sure there's any way to, to, to do it more quickly without cutting corners that, that could have unintended consequences down the road. Having said that, and I appreciate your, uh, your answer, this is not rocket science, and this is done everywhere in the country and so normally with architectural and staffing and budgetary plans there's a timeline we're going to do this by this date we're going to do this by that date so do we have any kind of timeline as to when we might expect the next step to happen you know i i don't know uh, what the answer to that question is whether or not the sheriff has uh, released a timeline for the build out, Benny, I don't know if you can uh, comment on that um, as to what the timeline is for getting the space built at the county jail. As you know, the, the uh, groups are meeting about the policies around that. You know, I think uh, the past experience with the sheriff's department um, of the deputies that have worked when there was in-person visitation uh, have raised concerns that are trying to be addressed. Um, the money for the build-out was allocated in this year's budget, so that's 
for design and the beginning of the construction. But the physical aspect of it still has to be built. I understand they may be doing it in many other places, but we didn't have that uh, as far as the space. But we do have the space. It's going to be built out. Um, the only timeline that has been uh, mentioned is that we hope to implement in early uh, 20. So that's, that's where we year. are. No, well, in the first quarter of uh, 2020. So it's coming along. You know. I know you think it's rocket science, but there's a lot to it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Ross. Thank you. Does anyone else have any comments or questions? Good evening. Um, Good evening. I'm David Augustinus. I'm with the University Hills Neighborhood Association Board. And I have a question that I think would be best directed to our representatives from DPD. Uh, that is, uh, as we were or pointing out the reduction in the number of complaints uh, to DPD this year, uh, a number of variables were you described that could contribute to that. You couldn't pinpoint anything. Uh, one possibility that wasn't noted uh, would be the possibility that improved training methods uh, uh, could be contributing to that. And I'd be interested in DPD's perspective in terms of things that they've done to improve uh, the training uh, that has and possibly could contribute to keeping the, the, those stats down in the future. Yeah, and I'll just say that's a, a very good point. And if I neglected to mention that, that was my oversight. Thank you. Raise the microphone really slowly. <laughs> that just sounded good. Okay. Um, so uh, again, uh, kudos to to Nick and his team for putting together a comprehensive uh, report. This is this was not news uh, to us. We were uh, actively looking at this because this is one of our stated goals. When I have a PowerPoint in my pocket that talks about uh, reducing complaints and how we can work together in order to to do that. Um, we uh, would attribute the, the use of force training, eight hours of comprehensive use of force training that has uh, really uh, helped us uh, remember why we're doing this job in the first place, the back to basics training uh, that has taken place as well. So training is a big uh, part of it, but uh, with our labor groups, with our uh, employee groups, uh, we're making a concerted effort to uh, hold ourselves to, to a higher standards. Uh, we did have a, a decrease in 2018, and in 2019, our goal is to decrease uh, even further. Thank you. Thank, thank you for the question as well. Would anyone else like to ask any questions or make any comments? Hi. Hi. My name is uh, Chris Devlin, and I'm a concerned citizen. I have kind of a, a broad question, and I wonder if somebody can fill me in. Um, I'm curious how it is that Denver has a successful um, citizen oversight situation like it has. Um, and, you know, I'm, I would be very interested to know 
as far as how can that translate to other cities? And is there anything that citizens can do to um, facilitate that? And um, if anybody knows where the impetus came from this to begin here, and what kind of resistance might there have been, um, you know, from a bureaucratic standpoint or whatnot? That's a it's a great question. It's a big a one. <laughs> there's a there's a lot to that. Um, Nick, do you do you want to do you want to start there, or Dr. Mary Davis, do you want to start? It's my understanding that back in um, early 2000, there were a number of um, shootings that occurred, and there was concern from the community about um, there being a need for oversight. Why is this occurring, and what should we be doing as a city to um, deal with the fact that um, there seemed to be uncalled for um, deaths as a result of actions. And so the um, city, county, city um, council, mayor worked together to establish the uh, Office of Independent Monitor. And so um, the first board, oversight board, um, came into being in 2005. And so from that time on, we have been appointed by the mayor and confirmed by the um, city council. And so our board is, it, it's, I've been on the board for 10 years. And so during that time, I've seen a, a lot of changes in the, the work of the board as well as the, the composition. And I would like to um, point out that we have an outstanding group of volunteer um, citizens who are, are committed to doing, to represent the um, citizens of the city and county of Denver. And one of the things that um, is a hallmark of what we do is we educate ourselves as to the work that's being done throughout the country in citizen oversight of law enforcement and uh, have been called on by um, the the national organization to come to the annual meeting and make presentations about what we, we've done here. And we're proud. We know there is work still to be done, but we're proud that we're called upon by other cities to talk about the model here in, in Denver. Great. It certainly seems to be successful. And I'll just uh, briefly expand on um, Mary's uh, comments. I think that's a great Summary, although I was not in Denver and in this position at the time of uh, the creation of the OIM and the COB, um, I think that was a great summary of, uh, of how it was created. You asked, you, know, you asked a little bit about um, helping other cities develop uh, increasing oversight um, uh, and a little bit about resistance or bureaucratic resistance, I think, in your words. And I guess I'll say um, uh, maybe those two ideas are linked a little bit. Uh, uh, in terms of resistance, I think every, any time you create oversight, there's going to be resistance, right? There's going to be, that is a, that's a fact of life, that's a, it's a fact of life for every oversight agency everywhere in the country, um, and, uh, and although I think we have lots of collaboration here in Denver, that's uh, also a fact of life here in Denver. Um, in terms of helping other cities, I think we do partner with other cities around the country. We 
uh, consult with other departments. We had um, just, I think it was last month or two months ago, last month, mm -hmm. the mayor of Tulsa who came to study the OIM and the COB because he and his team have determined that they want to try and replicate the model here in that city. We've you know, recently met, some of you may know, that the city of Boulder is currently in the middle of um, uh, some real community concerns about a particular incident involving the Boulder Police Department, and we've had discussions with uh, the city of Boulder because it's looking to create civilian oversight. Uh, and so it, you know, those are discussions that we're happy to have with other cities. Uh, I think it's, you know, Obviously, I believe in, I believe in the mission uh, of oversight. I believe that it is helpful for law enforcement agencies, uh, and, um, and we continue to have those conversations with cities around the country. Yeah, go ahead, Nikki. Um, I would add that um, I've been on the board for only a few years, so I'm, I'm not gonna speak to its history, but my experience in working with folks both at the sheriff's department and the police department is that sometimes there can be a concern that we're going to come in as citizens and try and attempt to tell them how to do their jobs, which are jobs that, frankly, I, as a volunteer, will never understand all the ins and outs of. And so it's daunting that a citizen might come in and tell you specifically how to do your work and might oversee things that would leave you at a disadvantage or maybe even in danger. So as a citizen, I try and stay more in the line of asking questions that represent concerns of the community as opposed to making the final answer. When we do make recommendations, they always come with kind of a, a lot of room for discussion um, and try and focus on being a vehicle for transparency and just getting information out to the community as opposed to being like the final decision maker because you know transparency should be something we can all get on board with, whereas um, we're not trying to shift power towards the oversight board, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great question. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Hello. My name is Darren O'Connor. I'm with the NAACP of Boulder. I'm the uh, criminal justice chair, and I'm also a law student five minutes away from here, so when I saw your meeting was going on, um, I knew I had to be here because, um, as you've mentioned tonight, um, Boulder is considering what we're calling a community oversight board. We are aiming for broad oversight powers, binding resolutions, but we're looking for models across the country. Um, there's going to be a task force created. A uh, subcommittee will start that process, and we're going to define the roles of the task force um, and for some of you, maybe this will resonate. Uh, I have as a vision, personally, things like um, improving on the constitutional limits of um, use of force, both for an officer and for a suspect. Under the, There's a, a ruling called Graham v. Connor that sets the Fourth Amendment limits of how someone can be handled. And I think um, Zaid Atkinson in Boulder um, he was somewhere near, right near the limits of what was legal. And, and um, the reason I'm here is not just to tell you what we want, but is, is to share with you that um, we definitely recognize in Boulder that, that Denver has been doing this a while. We have what's called a professional standards review panel, but it's more of a, a way for the police to 
deal with infractions that are so bad that someone's going to get fired and they deal with the um, police union by having this review board that says, yes, it was that bad. But there's, there's a lot of things that would never go there that we believe as a community should. So um, I have a card. I would like to come give you each a card and invite you um, to reach out to us. It sounds like you're already talking with people within the city, so maybe that's, that's happening. But um, we really see this, and we've pushed for this to be a community-driven process to create a community oversight board. So we would like to be engaging with you directly. Um, Great. And yeah. if you've followed any of what's gone on there, I'd, um, I don't really have a question other than wanting to, to connect with you, but I'd be happy to hear your um, just response when you saw that event with Zaid getting surrounded by eight police officers having guns drawn for the crime of the non-crime of picking up trash. And may I approach? <laughs> um, sure. Actually, if you'll just leave them for us, or if you if you have to leave, you can leave them for us. If you're going to stay, then after. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Anyone? Um, well, I, I will say that we, we look forward to working with you and um, sharing, you know, our experiences, um, you know, what, what we've seen um, in, our, in our roles as, as really as volunteers. Um, it, a lot of it's listening and, and trying to learn. Um, and um, I, I, I do think, though, that we, we benefit from the fact that um, the the system has been created now. It's been in existence for 15, almost 15 years. Um, and so um, there's a level of um, understanding about how it's supposed to work that you're, you're, just, you're just trying to get, get over the first hump. So we should definitely talk. Anyone else? Yes, Mr. Gardner. I've only been on the board very shortly. Uh, but I will say to what you just said, I think there is uh, tremendous value in building uh, are continuing the relationship with the law enforcement um, in whatever city you're in, right? Because in Boulder, uh, if it's not there already, but I think the experience that I've had with being able to work closely with the sheriff's department and the police department, um, continuing those relationships, and it's almost like a straight line. Uh, it's, a, it's tied together, and, and I'm coming to see that more and more versus this side and that side. It's more how do we make these two meet and how do we find a ways to improve and what is our perspective. So I would encourage uh, continued dialogue and uh, as you look how to build a COB, I see that uh, continuing those relationships and really strengthening those and getting involved um, with that, those departments is important. Bridge builders. Anyone else? Great. Well, thank you. Thank you again for being here. Uh, yeah. Uh, any other questions, comments from the community? There's mics. The mic's hot. Come on up. <laughs> no. No. Wow. Okay. Yes, Miss Collier. Karen Collier again. Um, and this is another question for uh, Mr. Mitchell. Uh, on page 13, there, are, there appears in bold print, OIM inclusion in the performance improvement process. And then down toward the uh, bottom of the page, 
there are some recommendations that have been made by the PIT team. Um, and I was unaware that, that that had started as early as fall of 2018. Um, so is there any timeline for uh, when the recommendations will be acted upon that are listed there, one through five? Yeah, and uh, just for clarity's sake, um, is that the COB's report? This is the, yes. Okay. Um, uh, so I think I can say that the Public Integrity Division, uh, it's my understanding that it will begin uh, taking cases shortly, perhaps, um, and Benny, you can correct me on this if you have a different understanding, uh, but perhaps even later this month, a small team will begin the Public Integrity Division, will launch the Public Integrity Division and start taking cases. Um, I think there is a, uh, a slightly longer timetable for the full implementation of that team that I, I think will be fully implemented by the summer. And so not every single one of those recommendations uh, will um, definitely be fully implemented. Uh, some may be implemented in full, some may be implemented in part. Uh, so I can't give you a timetable for all of them because not every single one is, is necessarily going to end up in the policies and procedures, but I, I can say that it's my understanding that the Public Integrity Division will be taking all of the cases and all of the investigations uh, involving sheriff deputies by the summer. Um, and again, Benny, if you think I've got that timetable wrong, please, um, please correct me. Okay. Um, as a follow-up, uh, I think that you're aware that I'm particularly interested in uh, recommendation number four, which reads, uh, limit the OIM's authority regarding mediations and declined cases. Is that recommendation still in the process of discussion, or has there been any movement either way on that recommendation? It, no, it's still very much in the process of discussion. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. Good evening. Uh, my name is Lauren Mattingly. You can uh, lower it if you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a question about the Black Lives Matter movement. I think that was in 2016 or 17. It was a couple of years ago. And I'm curious if any of the Denver Broncos had provided funding to your organizations or what kind of results you saw from that whole movement. So I just think I want to make sure I understand your question. The question is, did the Denver Broncos give, a, give us any money? Yeah, so zooming out the NFL, you know, the anthem and the taking the knee during the anthem and, you know, it evolved into a Black Lives Matter acknowledgement, I think on a national scale and big eye opener. And so I was curious, you know, if the Broncos had funded, you know, your organizations or what type of results you directly saw from that movement, if any. 
Uh, well, I, our budget is actually provided for, by the city. Um, and actually, I don't believe we, we could take any money um, uh, if, if any were offered. And I'm, I'm not aware of any offers, but I, I don't want to say no, absolutely nothing's happened. But uh, I'm not aware of anything. Our, so our, our budget is actually um, fixed by, by the city. Um, and um, with regard to our work with the Black Lives Matter organization in Denver, um, is that what you're asking? That's one of many organizations that exist, yes. I know that was one that was more highlighted by the NFL. Uh, yeah, okay. So I, I can actually speak to this with a little bit of a information that was recently given from a community partner, which was that, um, so some of you may know that there have been a number of ordinances or votes of the people that have changed or strengthened oversight, one of which was amendment, was it 2B? Mm -hmm. However many years ago, that um, three or four years ago, added the OIM and the COB permanently to the city's charter. That, organ that um, ordinance was really pushed for by a number of community organizations, one of which was Denver Justice Project. Denver Justice Project actually grew out of the Black Lives Matter movement. I was recently um, told by some of their leadership that they had met within the BLM movement and that they had chosen to create this organization to focus on this issue locally um, as a part of that inspiration. I think the, the biggest thing is that it probably galvanized a lot of community members to be sort of more active and more vocal. So I don't think that we've seen any like um, specific support like directly from looking for the word, but um, from like Black Lives Matter, but just getting community members involved to apply to the board, to participate in board activities, things like that. Good to know. And then one other quick question. Um, tracing the 911 calls and, you know, that specific person or incident and the results, do you have statistics information from start to finish? Where might I be able to find information around that? <laughs> um, that's a great question. I don't know. I'm wondering if um, anyone... Um, in a uniform, <laughs> can, 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 can guide us. <laughs> Hi, Lauren. Um, so tracing 911 calls through complaints, I mean to a complaint on a police officer or a sheriff's deputy, or just how a 911 call uh, how we can get information on a 911 call? Yeah, and all the, you know, I guess the profile behind, yeah, the, the profile behind it, um, what the incident number or however it's categorized, and then, you know, the process from start to finish, no matter who's behind the, the dial out. So uh, we, you, you can request uh, uh, CAD data, computer-aided dispatch, and there is an incident number that is generated as a result of a 911 call. Uh, there is a process you can, uh, we, we have that on denvergov.org slash police to re request a record. There are some redactions, right? There's uh, privacy information that you, you, you can't just find out uh, on a, uh, an individual, some of the, the protected information that they may have, but there is a process and denvergov.org slash police is a way that you can request that information. Okay. Did I answer the question? All right. Great.
Thank you very Thank much, you. I'll Chief. follow up with that. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Alfonso Suazo. I'm with the uh, Sheriff's Advisory Board. I'm one of the board members that sit on that uh, particular group. And um, I do have a couple of um, questions to um, Nick regarding um, some of the recommendations made for the uh, PID. And um, I, one of the ones that are most concerning to me is uh, number nine, which allows serious inappropriate uses of forces to be um, handled um, um, with shorter periods of time. So what are your thoughts on that? And the other thing would be um, prohibiting the independent monitor from assigning a designee to some of the high-profile cases and conduct review meetings. Yeah, you know, I'll say that um, as uh, Ms. Collier uh, and I discussed, those are still kind of in, in process and, and under discussion, so there's nothing final with respect to any of those recommendations. Um, my perspective on uh, number nine, which I think relates to um, expanding the range of conduct categories for inappropriate force. Is that? That's I don't correct. Have, okay, I don't and have the document. Typically, in front of your me. D and E right. uh, categories. Of right, the, right. I know you know Alfonso. You know a lot about the matrix and how it works and the different conduct categories. It's not, not everyone here may not um, have all of that context, but um, under the department's discipline matrix. There are rules uh, in, in associated with how discipline uh, can be imposed, the process by which discipline is imposed, um, and rules that govern the consequences for particular violations of sheriff department rules. Um, when a deputy sheriff is found to have engaged in an inappropriate use of force, um, there are right now two conduct categories that can be applied. Category E, which starts at a presumptive 30-day suspension, and Category F, which starts at a, or, or is a presumptive termination and uh, from employment with the department. Um, that was changed some years back, perhaps four, three, four, maybe five years back. It used to be that uh, Conduct category D was also available, which starts at a presumptive 10-day suspension. Um, it's, I see every single use of force complaint that's filed uh, regarding sheriff deputies. I'm involved in every investigation of each one of those complaints. Um, and it's my perspective that the elimination of conduct category D, lumping all uses of inappropriate force mm -hmm. together under ENF, uh, to some extent, uh, we've lost some of the nuance in being able to see gray area uh, in some of those incidents. There is a significant distinction between a use of force that should result in termination and one that should result in, in a lesser punishment. And I think it's, uh, it's appropriate that under certain circumstances there, that category D be available for uh, discipline of certain uh, violations, certain inappropriate force violations that uh, are not as serious as others that uh, you know get closer to a 30-day suspension or termination. So, uh, I have supported this that change that you're discussing in um, in recommendation number nine. Uh, with respect to the other recommendation uh, about. Um, 
not being able to assign my deputies uh, to certain high-profile incidents. Um, you know, I would love to be able to personally respond uh, or personally monitor every case. It's simply not possible, and so uh, that uh, that recommendation is is uh, pretty much a non-starter, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Are there any other questions, comments from the, the public? Uh, I really want to thank you all for participating. It, it really helps us um, to understand what um, people are thinking and the issues that are a matter of concern. Um, would you like to? Please, don't, don't be shy. Christy Mockerock. I'm a community member in the area, and I just had a quick and I just had a quick question. Um, do you anticipate an increase in complaints if Proposition 300 passes? And if so, how would those complaints be handled due to the broadness of the description of the law? That's a good question. I oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know that I can answer that. Um, has there been any preparation? I'm sorry? Has there been any preparation? So I, I don't think we're the appropriate body right. to okay. um, address preparation for the passage of that um, uh, proposal in general. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say that um, I don't know what the consequences would be uh, and whether there would be an increase in complaints or any other consequences with respect to the interactions between police officers and community members if a 300 passes. Um, if it passes or if it fails, I think our role would be the same. We would uh, work hard to make the complaint process and the commendation process accessible to community members. Um, we would work hard to oversee anyone who does file a complaint. We would work hard to make sure that it was appropriately and fairly investigated. Uh, and so I think our role would remain the same regardless of whether or not that uh, proposal passes or, or fails. And other people who have other responsibilities could probably address um, some of your other concerns uh, or, or thoughts about, uh, about that proposal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Are there any other questions, concerns, comments? No? Um, okay. <laughs> well, seeing none, um, I think, I, think I, I want to just thank you again for being here. Thank uh, Chief Pazin, um, the commanders, uh, your, de your deputy chiefs, thank you so much. Um, and also uh, the council members who were here, and uh, also uh, Mr. Milliner representing the, the Sheriff's Department. Um, <clears throat> I, I think at this, this point I'll just I'll wrap it up, um, unless any of the board members have any, any final comments or thoughts. Great, well, uh, seeing none, I, I would wish you well, have a good evening, and thank you for being here.